In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today we're joined by AJC Washington correspondent Tamar Hallerman. How's it going, Tamar? I'm still here in person. I know. It's been two weeks now. You can't get rid of me. (laughs) Um, So we're here to talk today about the AJC poll from a couple days ago, uh, but it still stands. Um, And it's really interesting, the findings, because it showed... I think one of the more surprising things was right before um, Governor Kemp took office, we did a poll that showed his approval ratings. This was right after the election, too. Approval ratings in the highest 30s, um, not the best way to enter office. Now, after a his first legislative session, and a divisive one that involved the heartbeat bill, but also involved teacher pay raises and a medical marijuana expansion and all sorts of other developments, um, his, his approval ratings rose to about 45%. Yeah, exactly. The The last poll that we conducted was back in January. So this was right after the really tight election against Stacey Abrams. You know, she had just conceded but not conceded, raising a ton of questions about, um, you know, the voting practices in Georgia and Kemp being the referee for this race that he was also running in and all those sorts of things. So he came in on that note and then he, he came through and, you know, there are all sorts of issues like teacher pay raises that you mentioned, medical marijuana, not as controversial as some of the things like abortion, like the new voting machines, kind of very divisive kind of red meat sort of things that, that he kind of said he was going to do during the campaign. And, and that certainly helped him. He's up in the mid-40s in in, uh, in April in this latest poll. Yeah. And this poll was conducted by University of Georgia's um, School of Public and International Affairs. And they've been doing our polling for the last year or so. And I'll note, too, that um, Kemp aides internally say that their poll kind of tracks, our poll kind of tracks what their polls are showing. We haven't gotten significant pushback um, they have the issues with some of the dem- demographic numbers, but overall, they say that it, it's 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 kind of tracking. So that's that's just food for thought as we as we continue to talk, uh, because the other big development was Stacey Abrams. Back in January, her poll numbers were 52 percent favorable, above over water, <laughs> above water. I mean, above that that 50 percent threshold, um, and they've dropped by about seven points to 45 percent. Her approval ratings are 45%. Her negative ratings are 45% um, over the last three months. We didn't, we weren't able to go in depth. We weren't able to ask follow-up questions in the poll to ask, you know, why people are, who've changed their mind are upset. But just anecdotal evidence, we called a lot of people, talked to a lot of people. Some said they were mad that she failed, to, she, she refused to concede. Some said that they were upset that, you know, at her policies and, 
And and some said they just they just were they said Kemp was off to a strong start and they wanted to give him a chance. And to be clear, we were not asking our um, you know the, the people who were surveyed whether they preferred Abrams yeah. to Kemp or preferred Abrams over Purdue in the Senate race. We just asked, you know, do you view her favorably? Mm-hmm. And and the big thing that's changed since in the last few months, she's been out promoting her book. She's been out on her thank you tour talking a lot about what happened in the election, but also her political future is still up in the air. She's talked about potentially running for governor again, potentially running for senator, potentially running for president or, or VP. And that timeline keeps getting pushed back by weeks and weeks. So maybe there's a little bit of fatigue associated with that. Yeah. One person we know will be on the ballot in, in 2020 is Senator Perdue. And this was the first um, uh, review we had done with him in three, three months as well. And his approval rating was kind of stagnant, and which for him is probably good news. Is at 45% in January, is 47% now, so that's within the margin. So basically it was unchanged. It is not the best position to be in when you're going toward a reelection, but if you're also at 47% favorability and you haven't spent really a dollar yet in advertising for your reelection campaign, you'll you'll probably take that if you're David Perdue. Exactly. And what's interesting about Perdue is that he was running about seven percentage points higher. So 47% of of our respondents said that they approved of the job Perdue was doing, and only 40% said they approved of Trump. That's a huge deal for Perdue because he's going to be so closely tied to the president as he's running for re-election next year. One other thing I'd I'd like to note that that the Perdue folks saw as a really encouraging sign was that Perdue's unfavorables, the percentage of, of people who said they did not like David Perdue was only about, I believe, 28, 29 Mm percent, which is really good for them because unlike Stacey Abrams, where it's pretty even, um, you know, only about 10 percent of people did not have an opinion of her, not leaving a ton of room to grow. That left Purdue's folks because I, I believe something like 30 percent said they didn't have an opinion yeah. of him. A lot of room to move that needle over the next two years. Um, and, and another interesting uh, par- part of that equation was the North Metro uh, numbers. North Metro, we had three different categories. We had North Georgia, Metro Atlanta and South Georgia. So pretty big demographic swaths that we were that we were kind of parsing out. But Metro Atlanta and Metro Atlanta, which includes the city and the suburbs, um, David Perdue fared better than Trump, and he fared uh, better than than Brian Kemp. And of course, we remember from last year's election, Brian Kemp just got trounced in Atlanta suburbs by Stacey Abrams, and it really unnerved a lot of Purdue supporters. They were they were already plotting how they can do better than him in the suburbs. They haven't even launched that effort yet, but already. He's starting on better ground than Brian Kemp did. He's at about 39%, so still not a great number. And we still, you know, looking at the numbers, we can't tell what percentage of those voters voters are actually living in the city of Atlanta versus the more conservative suburbs mm-hmm. generally anyway. So uh, there, there will be kind of more micro-targeting once we get closer to the date. But that that is an encouraging sign for them, and that's going to be so critical for them. That's not only where there's a, a wealth of votes, a wealth of money, but that's going to be where everyone's going to be focusing their energy, the North Atlanta. And this is a senator, as you mentioned, who's kind of tied himself at the hip with President Trump, who continues to struggle. We we talked about the other two Republicans doing better than the last poll. Um, Donald Trump continues to be underwater in Georgia. His approval ratings didn't really nudge at all. They're in the high 30s. They're about 39 percent in in this poll in April. Um, And at the same time, his this his his unfavorability ratings, his disapproval rating was above 50 at around 50, 52, I think, 
Um, so he's he's continuing to struggle in the minds of Georgia voters. Exactly. I mean, and his I don't know if he's ever gotten to above 50 percent since he's been elected in, in all of our polling anyway. Or if he has, it's, it's only been by a point or two. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch as we get closer to the election. Of course, you know, he likes to say he didn't spend any time in Georgia after he got the nomination, still won by five percentage points. So I, I'm expecting that could change. I, I'm curious to see how much of it will be tied to how well the economy is doing in, in 2020 how optimistic voters are feeling about the direction of the co- country. Not only will that affect Trump and how well he does in the state, that will, of course, impact David Perdue, who, you know, talks about this all the time, how how he sees these two races being very much linked. One thing he's got going for him, just like every poll that we've had, um, and that pretty much all the national polls track this too, is Republicans overwhelmingly favor him. He was about 90% approval rating among Republicans. Um, of course, Democrats overwhelmingly disfavor him. He's the most, one of the more polarizing presidents in the nation's history. But as he goes back, as he asks for his own, you know, for, for, another, for another term next year, um, this poll gives us no reason to believe that Republicans are going to turn on him at all, which is kind of the same dynamic we've had for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the other really interesting things that we, we polled in this survey was, of course, abortion. You know, we, this poll was out in the field right as the legislature was taking its final votes, I believe, on the, the before heartbeat bill. And after. Before and after when they were taking the votes on the heartbeat bill. Um, and what was interesting is that about 70 percent of respondents said they supported Roe versus Wade, the 1973 Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion. But at the same time, the state was much more closely divided on this heartbeat bill, which would limit most abortions after six weeks of pregnancy before most women even know they're pregnant. And about 48 percent of people said that they disapproved of the bill and about 44 percent said they supported it. So that's kind of interesting that there's such a disconnect between support for Roe and then opposition to this bill. Yeah, I mean, I think the takeaway is, <clears throat> A, it said there was a narrow, um, narrow, Georgia voters narrowly have negative views about the abortion, the anti-abortion bill. And remember, that bill has exceptions in it. That bill is complete with four big exceptions, um, rape, incest, medical futility of the child, and medical emergency, uh, you know, a danger, putting the, the, the life of the mother in danger. Whereas when we asked the question about Roe v. Wade, it was simply, do you support overturning Roe v. Wade, which would ban, uh, which, which would ban all abortions, you know, exceptions included. So the, the, when we talked to our pollster about why there was that disconnect, um, that's one of the things came up. Um, some of these voters, even if, they're, even if they want more abortion restrictions, don't want all abortions to be, uh, to be outlawed in case of rape or incest or, or some of those other exceptions. They're in so many of these legislations. The interesting thing happening in Georgia right now, though, is that there are, we've always talked about the, the legal threats of, from ACLU and other groups that are, have vowed to challenge the heartbeat bill once Brian Kemp signs it into law. There's also conservative groups who want to sue on the grounds that they believe there shouldn't be any exceptions written into Georgia's bills. Georgia's heartbeat law. And other states that have passed heartbeat laws had, they still had exceptions, but they had fewer exceptions than Georgia. That's interesting to hear. And of course, this bill, like all the other heartbeat bills, designed to you know, in the hopes that it'll make it to the Supreme Court, that that will be the, the case Race that ends the up Supreme Court. that ends up killing Roe versus Wade or overturning it anyway. And I'm curious, Greg, what you think this means for Governor Kemp. He has yet to sign the bill, at least as we're recording this episode. Um, what does this mean for him? Well, he's he's got to be He's got to be energized by the fact that his internal polls and as well as the AJC UGA poll showed his numbers are rising. Um, he believes he can sell it 
to the conservative electorate. He fe- he feels like he had to do something to energize conservatives. He made all these 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 conservative promises to the base, and it's not just this. It was he would he would sign a version of religious liberty. He would expand gun rights. He would crack down on illegal immigration. He would have a sales tax holiday over July Fourth for for ammunition. I mean, there's a lot of things that didn't even remotely come up. I mean, religious liberty was one exception. It came up for a little bit and then it's got... got In the legislative session, you mean? During the legislative session. And then it got shut down in a committee. So he, he, in a session where he was going to walk away with maybe what what could amount to a limited Medicaid expansion and an expansion of the medical marijuana law, um, he, he felt like he had to do something for the conservative base. And this is something that he believed in. So he thinks that he can sell it to the Georgia electorate. Same time, there are a lot of Georgia Republicans, especially in those suburban areas we were talking about, and some other areas like Athens, um, where there there are worries that this will be their doom. Exactly, and you know we always talk about suburban women and how they're going to be at the center of all of these fights for for Congress and for the legislature uh, this year and next, and and so it'll be interesting to see it, how much this this moves the needle with them when it comes to Republicans trying to make comeback bids in the suburbs. And what we know, are Democrats aren't going to let the electorate forget about about the heartbeat bill. I mean, this isn't one just a flash in the pan that he'll sign into law and it'll be a legal battle and then, you know, the state will move on. This will continue to be at the center of the debate from both parties. Democrats will, will remind voters about this bill and so will Republicans, especially out in rural areas um, where there's not too many legislators in danger, but that those are the rural areas David Perdue needs to really run the score up, get 85, 90% plus of those counties in order to, to offset what whoever his Democratic opponent is in Metro Atlanta. Those are the areas where this bill could really factor in. And this is not only, you know, politicians in Georgia. These are national figures who are coming down to Georgia to talk about it. The two of us just interviewed Cory Booker, who was in town, um, to talk about his presidential bid. He mentioned the heartbeat bill. Um, You know, I was up in D.C. recently covering testimony from Jen Jordan, uh, the state senator who made a big splash in her speech against the, the heartbeat bill. So this is becoming a huge national issue as well. But you wrote a story with our colleague, uh, Scott Truby, recently saying that despite all the threats of protests, people in the film industry who are saying, don't shoot movies in Georgia, all these businesses who who had all this backlash for previous religious liberty fights, you're not seeing a lot of follow through yet because of this heartbeat bill. Not at all. We're, we haven't seen any. We've, we've heard actresses like Alyssa Milano, who came to, to the last day of the Georgia legislative session. She threatened, she said she will never work in Georgia again if it becomes law. We've heard from other actresses and actors. We've heard from some executives, but no None of the Fortune 500 companies based in Georgia that fought religious liberty have come out against the heartbeat bill. And similarly, no, no big studios, no big companies, Salesforce, which was also such a force in the uh, religious liberty debate, uh, they have, uh, they're sitting on their hands. Um, they haven't fought this one. So, so it's really interesting to see that dynamic, and that's another thing we'll continue to watch. Uh, well, Tamar, thank you so much for joining us in person. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. 
and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. 